Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. I am really excited to bring you today's episode. I am joined by Keith Norris, the co-founder and chief development officer of PaleoFX, the largest paleo platform in the world. Keith is also a former standout athlete, military veteran, and serial entrepreneur in the health and wellness space. And he shares so much of his wisdom and experience in this interview. Keith shares his seven pillars of human optimization and how to enhance your epigenetic expression. And if you're someone who can't sit still and finds meditation difficult to access, then I think you'll really enjoy Keith's method of using exercise as a gateway to your subconscious. I think you'll really enjoy this and I look forward to hearing your thoughts. As always, email me at Angela at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. While it may take me a little bit of time to get back to you, I do personally read and reply to each and every email. It's great to have you here, Keith, on the show. Uh, welcome. It's great to be here, Angela. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to have you here today and talk to you about the about Paleo for FX primarily, but also about the other business interests that you have. Um, we were talking earlier about the mission behind Paleo FX and how you used to have a, a background in a corporate career and that you felt that you weren't really making a difference in the world. And after the tragic loss of your daughter, um, she really inspired you through the difference that she'd made in that short 22 years of her life um, to carry that on. And you and Michelle then founded Paleo FX with this mission really to make a dent in the world and educate people on how to be healthy. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so um, Brittany, our daughter, mm-hmm. passed uh, 10 years ago in an auto accident. Um, it was um, three days before her 23rd birthday and a week before her university graduation. Obviously devastating for Michelle and I to, uh, to lose a daughter like that. We have three surviving children as well. Uh, Brittany was the, uh, was the second oldest. Um, you know, at that time, Michelle and I also were, we were both in corporate America at that time. We were both making very, very good livings doing what we did, but we were rather dead inside. We did not, uh, we did not really buy into what we were doing. We were caught in the American dream, uh, the American dream being that success is rated solely on um, how big your house is, uh, what neighborhood do you live in, what schools do your kids go to, uh, what kind of car do you drive. Um, it's, it's very much a materialistic lifestyle. And, uh, you know, I, I would say at that time, we were fully bought into that. Uh, we were both raised that way. Um, we, you know... In, in our culture, to succeed is to have excess and to have material excess. And, you know, by, by any measure at that time, we were, we were doing exactly what we were supposed to do. We were, we were right on cue. Um, both Michelle and I have come, grew up in very, very working class, blue collar, black backgrounds. And to, to people on the outside looking in, especially our family, our friends, uh, we were, a, we were the success story. We had come from very humble beginnings and we had both quote unquote made it in the American system. Both of us prior to Brittany's passing were really having reservations about this. Um, we, no matter 
how much money we made, no matter how much, uh, how big our house was, no matter, you know, what we drove, the vacations we took, the schools we had our kids in, all of these things, we were still dead inside. And we were trying to figure out why that was. And, you know, even saying this now, uh, 10 years after, it, it, it's, it, it seems to me like, a, like an entirely different lifetime. And we were entirely different people at that time. And so we have evolved into these beings that, that put such a, such a less, such less of an emphasis on monetary success. I mean, it, it almost doesn't even register to us now. What does qualify as success for us is the lives we've changed, the debt we've put in the universe, the education opportunities that we provide to help people live better lives. Mm-hmm. Um, Brittany's, and created an incredible community around this in, in right. what is a relatively short period of time. Right. So the, so the show has been running since uh, the first show was in 2012. Um, the idea for Paleo FX, um, which began on the back of an airplane napkin, <laughs> funny enough, uh, Michelle and I had gone to a, to a similar conference, a very, very academic conference, the Ancestral Health Conference. And I spoke at that conference and Michelle and I are both, we are not what you would call specialists in anything other than Michelle is a very accomplished chef and I am very accomplished in the strength and conditioning world. But our true strength lay in the fact that we knew specialists everywhere else just had this incredible network. We're, we're just natural networkers. I think, you know, people ask me, well, what, what is your, um, where does your business success stem from? I can tell you it is not traditional business. I am the, I, I'm probably the most unlikely entrepreneur you will ever run into. I, you know, I don't have a traditional business background at all. My, my studies in university revolved around political science. I'm a liberal arts major. Um, I took I took exactly one accounting class, and I mean class, because after the first class, I dropped it. I was like, there's no way I can do this. I'm not the numbers guy. Uh, I'm not a business strategist, and none of that I am, but what, but what I am very good at is networking and kind of understanding the the greater feel for what a, what is required of a tribe and those things that are required to build a tribe. Mm-hmm. And so if I, so if I have anything, those are my gifts. Um, if it has to do with business, Michelle is much more business minded than I am. But um, even she would tell you that she is, you know, she didn't go to school for business. She didn't, neither of us did. Um, our strength lies in our network yeah. and the ability to bring people together. So did you, I mean, when you were building it then, did you learn kind of as you went, right? It's kind of, or w- did you involve other business and marketing experts? Because obviously you've got this amazing ability, as you say, to connect and to form right. a tribe together. And Michelle was maybe a bit more experienced on putting on events and things like right. that. But did right. you then just very effectively pull in the right people to help you at that point or learn as you go? If there was one intelligent thing we have done <laughs> business-wise, and believe me, we've made every mistake you can, you can make when it comes to business. But one thing, Michelle and I are very, very humble in understanding the limits of our abilities. And we partner with other people who are strong in where our weaknesses are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and neither of us is bashful at all about, for instance, saying, I have no idea about marketing. I have no idea about traditional business. So I have to bring these people into my circle. What we are very good at is, how can you say, a passion in someone, um, an integrity in someone. But very, very early on in PaleoFX, we didn't have the finances to get the best of the best. Mm-hmm. We couldn't bring them on. So we had to give them, we had to sell them on other incentives. And largely that other incentive was, was the same way we came into this. Do you want to do something that changes the world? Then come with us. If you're looking for a bigger paycheck, we're not your, we're not your outfit. Um, PaleoFX was completely self-funded from the bank of Keith and Michelle. um and that and that by the way came about on the on the heels of the the last financial collapse in the u.s and michelle and i this is kind of an ancillary story to us losing our daughter eight months after she passed the uh the bottom fell out of the financial market in the u.s and at that time 2009 2000 yes yeah you know that on top of an emotional cooling event, then we had a financially crippling event that took place. And through all of that, we were still committed to exiting corporate America. And I, I can tell you at that time, our friends, our family, everyone that was anywhere near us really thought we had lost our minds. They thought that we were acting irrationally and that we were just, you know, we were in a, just in a state of mourning and they begged us not to leave the jobs that we had. And, um, because we, we couldn't even tell people at that time, at that time, what it was we wanted to do, which, you know, I I can see their point and I'm sure it did look crazy. And it was an act of desperation because we couldn't even tell people what it was we were going to do. They're like, well, do you have a business plan? You're leaving corporate America. What are you going to do? You have a business plan. And we're like, no, we don't. We don't know what we're going to do, but we know this is not it. The corporate America route is not it. We'll figure it out. You know, we were intelligent people. We're hardworking. We'll figure it out. And we did. Uh, Michelle, at, at that time, you know, Michelle was a chef. So she had the decision on whether to try to open a restaurant or to create a catering company. And so she created a, a healthy eating catering company here in Austin, Texas. I knew strength and conditioning. Um, I partnered with a gentleman here who, who had a number of gyms in Austin, Texas. And I went in and revamped the training program at those gyms and became partners in that, in that, um, in that gym series of gyms. And they were all both very, very successful. That was a precursor to Paleo FX. And that was our foray into entrepreneurship. Okay. So you started there and then right. Paleo FX. Right. And then shortly after we, we came up with the idea of Paleo FX and the, the idea for Paleo FX stemmed from going to this academic conference and asking ourselves after the conference, who the information that was presented here, who would that help? And the way that the information was presented, you know, very, very academic, which great, we, we, we need that. But the average person would have come away with that. The average person being our clients at that time, Michelle's catering clients, my training clients would have got nothing out of it. It was too over their heads. It was too abstract. There was no theory to practice path set in there. And uh, we were, this particular event took place in Los Angeles. And um, 
by the time we had flown from Los Angeles back to Austin, we had a business plan, an event idea sketched out on the back of the napkin, literally back of the napkin. Amazing. Yeah. And amazing that you two have that relationship. There aren't, you know, not every couple can both leave their respective, very successful careers um, and kind of come together and create that, that mission um, and that, that sense of purpose together. Right. Um, it's not, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. I will tell you that. There, I mean, <laughs> it's not for the, it's <laughs> not for the fragile marriage. It's not, no, it is not. It's, uh, I, it will put you to the test. Um, you know, Michelle and I have been through just about every test as a couple. I think you can go through, I mean, you know, losing a daughter is a huge test. Um, yeah. Going through a financial crisis at the same time is a test going through a financial crisis, losing a daughter at the same time you're exiting corporate America is a test. All of this, yes. putting on events, being an entrepreneur is a test. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's been one thing after another, but the one thing I can say is that we are, we are rock solid. Um, and I think the underpinning of that being rock solid is the, the knowing that what we are creating is a legacy for Brittany. Yeah. And that always underpins every decision we make with Paleo FX. Every business move we make is made with that understanding. So we call it soulpreneurship. And that is the idea that we put the, the soul of the business, the mission of the business, the purpose of the business above the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And that and if, and if the soul mission and purpose is not there, we don't do it, no matter, no matter how it will positively affect the bottom line. Now, we're not na so naive as to say that the bottom line doesn't matter because of course it does. Um, and for Michelle and I, the more profit that Paleo FX makes, the bigger bullhorn we get to build, the more lives we get to change. Yeah. And that's, that's the way we look at profitability from, through the Paleo FX lens. And that is so, so beautiful because, um, I remember you saying when we were chatting before that, you know, you didn't, you hadn't realized what a difference Brittany had made to other people's lives in her own short life until she passed. And, and to have that legacy live on and to help as many people that you, that you have been able to and continue to and spread that on it on a global movement is amazing. Right. And we, you know, right. and again, Brittany's gifts were in music and ministry, neither of which Michelle and I had. Uh, we, we, we had neither of those. But we did have the desire to change the world and to help people. And, uh, you know, Michelle and I often say that, that we, you know, we, we, are, we're, we are not the specialists. We are not the scientists. But we know specialists, we know the scientists, we know everybody who has these unique pockets of knowledge and we can bring it together. But the one thing we do know is how to tie all that together and make an individual a thriving individual. Mm -hmm. And I often say, you know, I am, I am no rocket scientist. I am not the, I am not the person who's going to go out and figure out, you know, the underpinnings of string theory or anything else. But I know how to make people healthy. And if I can make the person who can figure out string theory healthy, then I think I've accomplished something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's, that's where we see ourselves fit in the grand scheme of things. And it's, 
I'd love to, uh, yeah, just dial in a little bit more on that because I know that you're very, um, very good at managing your time, extremely busy, mm-hmm. and I know that you prioritize your sleep. But beyond that, you have your your own nutrition, your training, right. super dialed in. But before we get into that, something that really struck me there was to, to get through all of this, you and Michelle um, must have had to kind of not prop each other up, but be there for each other at different times and have a very powerful mindset. Um, can you explain with that, like what, what keeps you going through the struggles? You know, there must have been roadblocks along the way to create something this big. Um, and, you know, it's always harder to get something from an idea in your head into reality than it is to now when you have something that's already moving and keep that in motion. Um, what have been the most kind of powerful practices or maybe you've had mentors yourself that you've used in terms of that mindset and empowering each other and yourselves? Well, I think on the, on the partnership side of things is I think it's a misnomer to think that partnerships are 50, 50. Um, they're never 50, 50. There are periods of time where it's 99, one, and those periods fluctuate and they fluctuate throughout the day. They fluctuate throughout the week and throughout the year. Um, in other words, one of the two partners is picking up 99% of the load while the other one is wallowing in misery for whatever, for whatever reason, or is hitting a roadblock or, you know, otherwise incapacitated for some reason. Um, and then it's just known that the other one picks up the load. Mm-hmm. And so we've always viewed our relationship as a 99-1. Today, today I've got the 99, she's got the one. And, and so it, it's this constant uh, yin and yang of, of, of uh, surfing back and forth and just realizing that's the way life is. It very, very rarely, much like the human body being in, in stasis, it's very rarely set at 50-50. You might pass through phases of that, but otherwise it's, it's constantly shifting. And as long as you realize that... Um, nobody's feelings get hurt <laughs> you go on <laughs> and you, yeah. and you prosper so that, you know, on the relationship side, I would think that's uh, you know, that's one of the larger ones. And uh, I can't uh, go back to your original question. What was, yeah, the other? it was just really about kind of what mindset techniques you've used. So obviously there is that element as right. you say, of keeping each other going. And I absolutely I think right. it's an amazing way to put it, that it is the 1911. And I think that's true of any right. marriage actually. And a lot of people estimate that but also your own kind of self. Do you use particular affirmations? Um, do you journal? What are your own practices of keeping your own head in, or, in order? Yeah, I, um, yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I, I am first and foremost a student of Eastern thought, um, I, and I follow a lot of those practices. <clears throat> Although... I would say uh, gratitude, mindfulness are huge parts of my life, although the way I practice those is not in the traditional way. I'm not a meditator, for instance. I can't, I can't sit still, right? And, and, it, it, and I understand the idea that if you can't sit still for five minutes, you need to sit still for an hour. And I, 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 totally, I totally buy into that. You get it, but you just got it. <laughs> right. I get it. Um, but my form of meditation is movement. So I can, I can, you know, go into the gym. I can, I can get on my bike. I can ride. And in, in that way I can, my, I'm a very kinesthetic person. I I go by feel, I go, go by movement. Um, 
it was probably why I was a, a pretty good athlete back in the day. I'm just very, very focused, body centered. Um, I learned through feel and through action and, and doing. Um, and, I, and it also calms me too, so that if I can keep my body active doing something, then my mind is steadied. Okay. And it, you know, it's not frantic. And, and so there are uh, pockets during the day, like after this podcast, I'm going to the gym for two hours. Okay. And that can be a, dis, a bit disconcerting for our, uh, the people we have working at Paleo FX because they know I'm out of pocket for two hours. They're not going to be able to get to me. But that is the only way that I myself can keep the pace that we have set at Paleo FX, which is, you know, pretty much a 24 7, 365 operation. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I didn't do that, I would burn out. If I do include movement every day, every day, every day, then I can, I can quote unquote work as long as, as long as need be. But I know if I don't get that movement in, I'm, a, you know, I'm ripe for burnout. So that's I mean, an important practice. That back, right. That's the thing. The time you right. spend working out, you probably get double back in terms of what you can get. I do. That, well, that's creative. You know, people talk about the, you know, shower moments where you have your best ideas when you're just kind of standing in a warm shower and relaxing. I get a ton of ideas when I'm working out or I'm on my bike riding, um, just a flood of ideas. It, it allows my mind to be able to be calm and just open up. And I think it allows the, um, you know, my subconscious to just start to come up and reveal things. And, um, connect dots that otherwise wouldn't be connected if I were sitting and trying to think about it. If I just let my mind relax, those dots will connect. And I'm, I have an app on my phone. I've got all these note-taking elements around me. So I, I will be in the middle of a workout and I'll go grab my phone and I'll just audio message myself. Okay. So you can keep track serious. of it. Right. Right. Yeah. So I can get them out of my head and not try to hold them. Yeah. 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 So is there a particular type of exercise that does that for you? So I know, for example, because I think, I mean, I do meditate and I think it's a great gateway, as you say, mm -hmm. into that subconscious. And right. I know, for example, that a cardiovascular workout for me gives me more of that opening to that gateway. So if I'm running or cycling, um, do you find that it's certain workouts that you can do that with or even with strength training? Can you, do you get those moments? Even with strength training at this point. So you know, my strength training is, let me back up and say that when I was a competitive athlete, my training was spot on. And I had to do certain types of training on certain days. And it was very regimented, right, for a purpose, because there was a competition at the end of that. Mm -hmm. And 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 I did that for so many years. And I, I loved that. But I don't have to do that now. I don't have any, you know, my, my competition now is, is, life is to be healthy the you know the healthiest 55 year old that i can be that is my competition um that said i do in a day whatever it is i feel like doing if i feel like lifting weights i lift weights if i feel like sprinting i sprint if i feel like being on my bike i do that whatever it is i just do what i feel like doing when i was an athlete i didn't have that choice if i didn't feel like lifting on this particular day sorry <laughs> that was the program right yeah. if I didn't feel like sprinting on a particular day sorry this it has to fit in this way and and I and I understood that as an athlete and I and I fully bought into it 
And, um, you know, that was just one of the hurdles that you have to get past of many of being a competitive athlete is you, you sign off on that. Otherwise you're not going to be a competitive athlete. Yeah, sure. uh, but I, but all of that said, I don't have to do that now. I appreciate all forms of exercise and I just let my body tell me what it, what it wants. So you, would you plan out your week in terms of exercise or each day you're kind of like, right, I know, do you have a rough idea or are you just going to go with whichever you feel like, whatever modality on that day? You know, I have a, I have a rough idea, for instance, um, just for instance, just to give you an example, I had a, uh, a heavy sprint running day um, on Wednesday. Um, yesterday, I did an upper body lift, okay. right? Um, so, so I do take that into account. I'm not going to do a, a heavy lower body lift right after a head sprint. Yeah. You know, why, would I, why would I do that? Um, so I just kind of keep that rolling in the back of my head. And, and again, I have you know, I have done this my entire life. I've, I've trained as an athlete since I was uh, 11, 12 years old. I have been in some form of competitive athletics that required training. So I, it, this is just, it's second nature to me. Mm-hmm. Um, now I understand for most people that's, you know, they don't have that ability. But, um, but I do. And so I just intuitively know what it is that my body needs in the next subsequent workout. The only time that I really plan anything is if I know I'm going to be traveling and I know that I'm not going to have access to certain, you know, to a gym, maybe, maybe we're traveling. For instance, when we were in London, I didn't have access to a gym with heavy weights. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, I, you know, okay. So that's off the board. So now what do I do? I train very, very heavy with weights the few days before we left. And I trained very, very heavy with weights right after we got back. And in between, um, there was some running when we were in London. So okay, that's, that's running cool. around London outside. Right. right. Okay, amazing. Will you do like body weight workouts in your hotel room, that kind of stuff, or pack, you know, I, TRX or something? Or? Right, I do. And, it, and again, it just depends on the circumstance. I am very much a person who now – does not force anything. Okay. And that, uh, you know, maybe we can call that wisdom, <laughs> hard earned wisdom over the years. Um, but I, I roll with the flow, you know, what environment am I going to be in? How can I make the best out of this environment? And I don't stress over it. And, and I think that's a, that's a big thing too, is I don't stress over it. If I go a couple days without working out because I don't have access or, you know, the hotel we're staying at is, you know, doesn't have any training equipment or it's raining outside or whatever. It's okay. It wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. And I, but, but I think stressing over it much like, you know, it, it's interesting. So I'm, so I'm wearing right now a, a bio strap. So I do, and I wear an aura ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do track my biometric data, but I don't stress over either um and really i rarely look at it um so you don't align for example would you align because i I use an aura as well but would uh you align your workouts with the readiness score that you were getting from aura or would you override it for example and go oh i still feel like a really tough workout even though i'm not set or um yeah so this is very interesting so i went um for a while, I did an experiment when I first got, uh, you know, when these type of tracking devices first started rolling out, um, and especially with HRV, which I thought 
and I still think is one of the most accurate indicators of your readiness um, that, that's easily accessible for the, for the everyday person. There are, there are other indicators that, uh, you know, that we, that we could go into, but they're not readily accessible for people. Um, but HRV is pretty, pretty accurate representation of the, of the status of your body, the recovery status of your body. Um, as is heart rate, uh, respira uh, respiration, and body temperature. Those are all those are all indicative too. If you if you look at them and understand how they how they operate. But so what it, what I did was a baseline of my HRV. I let that settle out, and then I went through an experiment. And I still do this to this day when I do look at my data. Is I sit back, I check in with my body, and I ask myself without looking at the data, how do I feel? Do I feel like I'm ready to rock and roll? Do I feel like I need to back off some? Um, how do I feel? Mm -hmm. And I would check that feeling against what the hard data was providing. And I was hugely accurate. If I felt like I need to back off a little bit, sure enough, I'd look at my HRV and my HRV is starting to tank. Well, that's, so that told me that I am, very well dialed into my body yeah. that I can listen to my, which I think is the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. That's where I think everybody should get. Now, when I was training clients, I don't train clients anymore. Uh, but back when I was training clients, I would get them to do the same thing. Check into your body. And then we're going to check what your intuitive feeling is versus what the hard data is telling us. Mm -hmm. Because after a while, the goal is for you to, for you to know to check in internally and know and not have to rely on that data. So I think that the data is useful. Yes, but it can become a crutch. And yeah. just like a crutch, if you continue to use a crutch, your leg will never, you know, your leg will atrophy. Yeah. If you never force it to be used. So, so that, that I think is the downfall of the quantified self movement. It's just the over-reliance on the, on the data itself and the stress that's involved with, with all of that monitoring and failing to put that into practical application. How is it that you feel? Because mm. I think that's the ultimate goal. And if, and if, and if not, then, you know, why are we, why are we doing this? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, curious, when you talk about HRV there, um, and obviously I, I completely agree. Knowing it intuitively is so important, but what have you found? Like, let's say for example, you don't feel that you're fully recovered um, and you can't quite bring it. And whether you've looked at the data or not, what have you found personally is most effective as a strategy for bringing your body back in balance and raising your HRV back again? Um, well, from your so this, so this is interesting. The, uh, generally the pat answer for people whose HRV is, is beginning to tank. Um, and if they, let's just say they're, uh, let's say they're a competitive athlete, say, mm -hmm. right. Um, and the coach looks at a, at a person's HRV, sees it starting to tank. The pat answer is pull that person back and just have them foam roll and do these recovery methods and, um, wait till the next day and train, even if that day was supposed to be a hard training day. And I understand that methodology. Unfortunately, that methodology doesn't work with all people in all, in all phenotypes. It, it just, it doesn't for me personally, I would still work out. Yes. 
I would dial it down just a fraction. Mm -hmm. But I know for me, if I don't move, that HRV is going to slide down even further. Now, whether that's a psychosomatic, um, I, I, I don't know. But I do know that I have seen my HRV start to slide. Usually, by the way, if I get a big HRV slide, it's due to traveling. So these things that I know about myself that's backed with my HRV data is traveling wrecks me. Mm-hmm. And Michelle and I just got back. Um, we were home for 10 days out of 10 weeks during one stretch. Oh, wow. And my, my HRV was horrible. I bet. And now, should I not work out then? I can tell you what I did. I got home and I started working out very, very heavy even though I had a low HRV and I just saw my HRV climb day to day to day to day to day in the face of heavy workouts. So I, th- so there's more involved here mm. than just black and white answers, right? You really have to know yourself. You have to know the athlete you're dealing with. Some athletes that I, that I work with, yes, if their HRV was sliding, I back them off for whatever reason, they didn't have the same psychosomatic makeup that I did. They literally needed to back off. And, you know, I have some theories around what that is. It may sound very, very woo, but (laughs) they, at the end of the day, the coach has to know, and I mean, really know the athlete that they're working with. Yeah. And if you're training yourself, you have to really know yourself intuitively, which gets back to that all this data is great, but it's only great so long as you can use it as a, as a mirror to your own makeup and understand that. Right. And I think, I don't know, but like I, for me, what I find is, is that exercise is such an important part of my life and actually exercising, you know, I'm going to have a way better day if I've exercised in the morning right? Than if I don't. And so then, like you were saying, is if, if I then choose not to exercise because I want to follow some data on my HRV, then actually I will find that my, not anxiety, but underlying tension in my body right. will increase, which right. means that my parasympathetic nervous system is right. not engaged anyway, and the HRV right. goes down. So, yes. yeah, um, which yes. I think is kind of what you were saying, right? It's exactly that's that's exactly it. So, you know, we we are unique individuals, and all of us uh, physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually and all of these other areas, we are unique. We have a unique makeup and you have to take that into account. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, so the prescription that I would give for you would not be the same prescription I would give for me or for the next person. It has to be highly, highly individualized. I can say that certain things across the board, like I think alcohol negatively affects everybody. Some yeah. people can tolerate it better than others. I think gluten negatively affects everybody. Some people can tolerate it better than others. Uh, lack of sleep. I mean, we can go down the list, um, and those, those are generalities. Um, but once you get past those basic generalities, it, ver- it becomes highly specific to the individual. Yeah, I agree. And this comes down to your five T's that you apply to any training program. What we're talking about here, presumably, is the, the temperament T um, in terms of applying that that uh, individual, not just an athlete, right? Any individual's right. own temperament and what they should be going at it with. Um, right. And that, that got in. So I, I, I was lucky, lucky enough in my early career as an athlete to come across. And I, I didn't know this at the time. I was just a, a boneheaded, you know, <laughs> very, very cocky youth at that time. But I, I had at that time, some of the best coaches at my disposal that, that anybody, 
that anybody could have had. So it's very, very forward thinking uh, coaches that were both um, motivators, emotional motivators, um, but really knew physiology inside and out. And I learned so much from them. And, you know, most of, most of everything that I have put out myself has been, you know, I'm really standing on their shoulders. I may have refined it a little bit to fit my own needs or, but really, you know, the knowledge that was passed down to me was just, it was phenomenal. And I'm really grateful to be put in that position to be able to train under those, under those coaches. One of the, one of the ideas that I picked up from certain coach was the idea of using Chinese medicine in identifying, I could say more broadly Eastern thought and identifying temperaments of certain individuals, especially athletes. And you can have a great athlete in a similar sport, but that athlete be of a completely different emotional, physiological, central nervous system makeup. And so you have to train them differently. And to try to train them the same is, is not going to work. Um, and that's, so, so yeah, so it's, it's just that idea of pinpointing training to the specific person. And that's where the temperament side of it comes in. You know, I, I, to use an example, I was a, the type of athlete who had to train daily and to train hard. Mm -hmm. But I, but I played alongside with athletes who trained very, very little and they trained very, very little so that they could have the energy required and the wherewithal required to actually compete. So our training programs, although we competed in the same event, looked totally different. And, um, you know, that was something that I really appreciated at that time because it wasn't a cookie cutter program. Mm. It, was, it was highly individualized. I, um, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, if you look at Olympic, um, the best Olympic coaches now, they all follow that same, you know, just because someone is a sprinter doesn't mean they train the same as a sprinter next to them. It's all highly individualized. And I think, um, I mean, both you and I look at, um, genetics quite a bit and the epigenetic expression and I think that's the thing as well is when I'm working with clients is their individual baseline recovery is different even right. genetically in terms of your own inherent antioxidant production right. in terms of your collagen production um, it's it's all very individual and it's about then taking what you have and I think upgrading that software and optimizing it and um, I know that's something you do with your company's ID life where you actually right with very specific supplementation to support people's nutrition um, based right. upon their genetic and epigenetic expression. Right. And what's, what's very interesting about ID life is it, it allows personalized supplementation to be brought to the, what I would say the common man or the masses. Right. And Michelle and I are, are very, very keen to do that. We want to help the most people that we can. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the idea of, of individualized supplementation um, has been around for quite a while, but it has only been the purview of the um, professional athletes, um, those that, uh, you know, people making lots of money who have access to that kind of thing. But now we have the technology and the ability to, to, to bring this down, trickle down effect to, 
to the average person. Um, and so the idea is to do a, an epigenetic screening through a questionnaire. Mm -hmm. um, this, this questionnaire has been uh, refined, manipulated. Um, it, it is going through this questionnaire gives us a very, very clear picture on the epigenetics of this person. Um, it, it's incredibly, it's incredibly accurate. So accurate, in fact, <clears throat> that that after we added the DNA piece, the DNA piece really changed the individual's supplementation recommendations only slightly. Mm -hmm. So so dialed in was the epigenetic piece, and I think, I, you know, if we stand back and we take a thirty thousand foot look at this, really epigenetics is the big player in this whole thing for all of us for all of our health, right? And genetics matters, yes, but it's the epigenetics that is the daily driver of how that genetics is expressed. Yeah. Um, right, so, so when you take that into account, um, you then can create a supplementation package that's highly, highly, highly individualized. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we've done with, with ID life. And this, this is a company that we partnered with. This is, this is not a company that Michelle and I created out of whole cloth. Um, and, and I would say this, Michelle and I, are, if we do have another superpower in business, it's the, the ability to identify a winner. Yeah. Um, and we, uh, we might not create the winner ourselves, but we can sure identify it. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you both you both take their supplements, which are very individual to each of you. It is. It is our baseline supplementation, and um, it, it really, and we we think that it should be the baseline for everybody. That the technology, you know, it's accessible for for everyone. Unfortunately, right now this is only available in the US, but we will, you know, you that can't imagine. My question, yeah, is it only right. in the US or is it available elsewhere? Well, so this is in the company is, is relatively new. It's about five years old and you know, the, the company wants to concentrate in the U S right. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, they're, they're growing and there's no need to, you know, extend out too far. Um, the other thing is you cannot imagine the hurdles that are involved with supplementation and going into other countries. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't realize that until we got involved with ID life, but they are murderous <laughs> regulations for, for instance, just the difference between the U S and Canada and vitamin D in Canada, vitamin D has to be prescribed. Oh, oh medically prescribed. Yes. Yes. Ah. Just, just, okay. basic, you know, vitamin D. Yeah. Um, so, so those are the kind of hurdles that you have to get around. Now our, you know, our, supplementation recommendations obviously in, in the u.s includes vitamin d i mean that's hugely important um but yeah. if we were to go into canada I don't, I don't know how we would skirt that issue um I, maybe we don't include it at all which would be horrible maybe yeah well it, then it would be it wouldn't be fully adequate would it especially when you think about like people's right. vitamin d receptor genes are right. so as well like depending on their ancestry you wouldn't right. be supporting them i think without that right so these are the type of hurdles that we you know when you're a supplementation company that you have to that you have to consider so mm -hmm. you know that's yeah. uh, hopefully we will um extend the, the goal is eventually to be a worldwide company okay um, but yeah it is it's not as easy as just saying well we'll go into europe this <laughs> is different right. a minefield again uh, right so in terms of your um, 
Because supplementation, you would always say, is because our soils are depleted, we need it, but it's something you layer on top. And you obviously right. got your fitness really dialed in. What would you say to somebody, um, to the listeners really, over what are your kind of three to five fundamentals that people need to get right before they start looking too deeply at biohacking or quantification? Um, what are the fundamentals of health um, that you espouse? So I like to say that we evolved as obligate movers and opportunistic eaters. I mean, if you look back at the history of the human being, that, that is what moved us, right? Mm-hmm. And there's certain things that, that allowed us to rise to the top of the food chain, if you will. Um, but the ability, to, the ability to move and the ability to drag and build and create is part and parcel to what we are. So if, if, so if we look at how we evolved and um, we look at ourselves as we are right now in what we call the human zoo, right? This is a, th- this epigenetic environment that we've created for ourselves is largely artificial and it's largely detrimental to our, to our health. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's the, uh, if we want to get back to Eastern thought and, and uh, go spiritual and woo, it is the, it, it is the dark side of consciousness that we have this ability to create and we have this ability to, to uh, lessen hardship, right? Well, we've lessened hardship to the point where it's harmful now, mm-hmm. right? So, so you know, I could, I could, if uh, wanted, um, just walk right outside, get in my car, go through the drive-through restaurant, pick something up to eat, come back, and I've, I've number one, I've moved very little, and number two, I've just eaten something that's not designed for my for my body. I've done myself a disservice everywhere I've turned around. Plus I haven't got out in the sun, no fresh air, all of these, all of these other things. So I think we need to look at this from what does this physical body need to survive? Mm-hmm. And so first and foremost is movement. Yeah. Um, you know, I prefer all kinds of movement from lifting very, very heavy weights to sprinting, to bicycling, to you name it. I love it. It's, it's, it, it's an expression, but I would say for somebody to find something that you will do and do consistently, because if you don't do it consistently, again, it's of of no use. Um, You know, I I can give somebody the best workout program in the world. If they don't follow it, it's not doing it. It's not doing anybody any good. Um, The other thing would be obviously to eat properly. Right. And now I am a proponent of the, of the paleo diet, because I think that is the easiest template to follow for most people and is the most effective for mm-hmm. the most people. You know, we can, we can tweak that and we can say what, you know, throw in intermittent fasting. We can throw in uh, you know, cyclic keto diet, which is essentially what I follow a cyclic keto diet along with intermittent fasting. Um, but these are all uh, building blocks on top of a solid paleo diet template. Mm-hmm. And so I always like to start with a template first and then move forward from that. And then um, tweak it and put the kind of bells and whistles on. Right. Right. Yeah. And, but the problem is we want to put the, uh, we want to major in minors <laughs> as it were. And that never, that never works over the long haul. Yeah. It never works. It's flashy and it looks good on Instagram and yada, 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 but it doesn't, it doesn't work out over the, over the long haul. Um, sleep is hugely, hugely, hugely important. And it, 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 it's getting this way in Europe, I know, but in the U S we are so productive driven, right. Mm-hmm. And it, and it is, um, 
kind of beaten into our heads from childhood that if <clears throat> every minute you sleep, someone else is getting an advantage on you. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it just, I and mean, we saw this in Japan, you know, 20 years ago, uh, the Japanese culture is very much built on that drive, 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 go, go, go. And you know, it just, for, for males in Japan, it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible output. Um, and although we can see the ramifications of that and we can, we can see it in practice still, um, in the U S we prize productivity and profit over health. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's a sad thing to see, but, um, Even though it's not sustainable, but then I suppose not, yeah. the sad thing is, is that we have the technology and you know this better than anyone because you worked in big pharma originally is that you're going to live pretty much, unless you're very unlucky, you are going to live till 80 minimum, but you'll just right. be propped up. <laughs> it won't be health span. You know, you'll be there with your bag of drugs and everything. Right. That's the sad thing, isn't it? Is it, if you don't look after your health, it may not, you know, really restrict your lifespan, but it will massively restrict your health span. Oh, your quality of life will suffer yeah. hugely. And that's, you know, that's, that's a sad thing to see. Um, you know, and it's all of these things that I've mentioned are very basic and they're the things we already know, but few of us practice. That's, yeah. you know, that's, the, that's the hard part about this. Um, tribe community, mm. I think, is, is so underrated right now, right. as is emotional health, um, because emotional health translates directly into stress. And we know that stress is a, is a larger driver of um, every metabolic disease we can think of. Inflammation and stress. I mean, they're the one-two punch. Um, and the idea that we have lost the uh, community ties, uh, tribal ties. Um, I, I think one of the best books that I have ever read on what it means emotionally and physically to be part of a tribe is um, Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe. It's a, it's a fabulous look. Yeah. It, it, it's been on my list. I haven't. It's quite a big book, isn't it? I, I it, read it. it it's, a, it's a beautiful book. I don't think it's that long from what I remember. It's a, it's a pretty quick read. Um, but it really, it really gave clarity. So I was uh, – in the military and did uh, numer numerous, numerous deployments in the military. And, um, you know, the, the military and the units within the military are nothing else but tribe. Mm. Um, there are very few times in a person's life where, where your life is literally in the hands of someone next to you and vice versa. And that, connects people. It ties them very, very closely and it eclipses culture, color, everything, uh, as, as does sports to a lesser degree, but the mil military really does that. Um, <clears throat> I would come home off of deployment and you would think because the whole time you're on, you're uh, in the field and on deployment, the thing that keeps you going while you're on deployment is the knowledge that you can go home. And, and you're just counting the days till you get to go home. But the irony is when you come off of deployment and you are at home, you're depressed mm. and you can't, it, and for the life of me, I could not figure out, I, I, I thought I was crazy. And of course you don't discuss this with other people because you don't want to be thought of as crazy. Well, come to find out 
most people are feeling that they're just not expressing it at that time. Right. And I, I could never figure out why that was. I was like, you know, I just spent eight months on deployment and now I'm home and I'm depressed. And the only thing I can think about is going back on deployment. That's craziness. But now I understand what it was is when you're home, you don't rely on anybody to a large extent. Nobody relies on you. Yeah. You know, your, your neighbor can go on and have a, have a wonderful life without your involvement whatsoever. Well, that's certainly not true in deployment in the military. <laughs> Everybody is, everybody's life depends on everybody else pulling their weight. And, and when you're away from that, it, is a, it, it leaves a hole in your soul. It really does. And reading that book, I think, allowed me to go, oh, I wasn't crazy. That's what that's what the missing piece. I disagree. It's 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 interesting because it is what um, Stephen Covey talks about, right? All those years ago, this concept right. of seven habits of interconnectedness and and the work that like Dan Butner's done in the Blue Zones is what connects those. You know, if we look, why are there these pockets across the world where they have such high rates of centenarians? And it wasn't down to diet or like yes, they lived healthy lifestyles, but it seemed to be that common thread was this this tribe from great, great grandparent right down to baby. Right. Um, right. Where they matter in those communities. And, and we've lost that, haven't we? In, we have, you know, America and the UK and right. Um, Which is something uh, that Sebastian Younger covers in that book. The, you know, the, the lack of multi-generational households now, I mean, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And so, so part of being a healthy functioning older individual is the realization that your wisdom is of use. Yeah. Right. And we, and we tend to put our, uh, the elderly as, as if we use them up and they have no, nothing to provide society well, they, they have a huge amount to provide society. Mm -hmm. You know, they have 80, 90, a hundred years worth of wisdom that they could impart to young generations. And, you know, we don't take part in that just because of the way our cultures are, are set up now. It does no good for the younger generation. And it certainly does no good for the older generation who feels cut off and, you know, uh, useless, which would come back to a, another thing I think is very, very important on a daily basis is to have a, a passion and a reason for being. And it yeah. doesn't, you know, obviously for Michelle and I, that revolves around paleo effects, but it doesn't have to be a massive undertaking. Um, you know, volunteering at an animal shelter or volunteering at a women's shelter or, or whatever it is, but something to where you are part of a larger whole and there is a purpose and mission behind it. Mm. That gives people a will and a want to live. Yes. And, you know, that's, that's kind of missing in our society too. So you can see that, uh, you know, a large portion of what I talk about that's, you know, diet and exercise are just a small part of that. Yeah, very much so. They're, they're a hugely important part of it, but they're, it's, it's not the whole thing. And why you can have your diet and exercise completely dialed in and still be a less than functioning, thriving individual because you've left the other aspects off the table. And th that's why at Paleo FX, we, we call these the seven pillars. You know, it, it's mental, it's physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, relational, and communal. These, these are huge parts. And, and 
we, you know, we cover all of those aspects at PaleoFX. So the PaleoFX is not just a diet and exercise conference. It's a human optimization conference. Yeah. Yeah, they're all equally important. That's the They thing. are. Right. For many of them. And it's right. interesting. This morning I went to a talk actually in London with, um, with Hal Elrod. Um, oh, he, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. He's in Hal. London at the moment. Yes, he lives in Austin. Um, oh, does he? But, oh, yes, yes, I think he mentioned that. <laughs> Um, right. It's kind of an aside. We had dinner with him the other night. So that's, oh, did you? <laughs> that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we met him this morning and he was right. talking in it about yeah. purpose and mission um, and how, you know, your purpose is once you, once you have your purpose, which, you know, can change, but you underlying right. know what it is, the mission will often then reveal itself to you because people get hung up on right. the mission aspect, whereas actually aligning with your purpose, then every decision, like those values that you were speaking of then, you know, right. one of the best things I did when I left law and I was kind of, you know, I went through a period of ill health and rebuilt myself was to actually look at my values and what they were on all of those categories that you mentioned. Right. Because then decision-making becomes so easy because it's like, well, is it in alignment with my values? Yes, then I'll right. do it. If it isn't, then it's, it's a no. Um, right. Yes, um, it, it, and that takes constant reflection too. So I think that that people are under the illusion that that you can that your values don't change, or that your mission doesn't change, or that your passion doesn't change. And it, that's not true. I mean, it it changes, and and that's why I, you know, when we talk about the five the five T's, and, and that's specifically written for for training for physical training, but it works in all aspects of life is the idea of constant questioning and yeah. what works today may not work tomorrow. That's not a bad thing. You know, you didn't, you may have changed some as a person, but, but more likely your, your uh, epigenetic circumstances changed. Yeah. And the idea is that, you know, and that's life and life is supposed to be that way. Life is not supposed to be static. Um, yeah. And I, I like to say that it's change really it's always changing. And so, you know, in a training sense, what worked for you yesterday might not work today, mm. but you have to go through and reevaluate. Well, you know, how do I need to change given my epigenetic environment? What do I need to do to change? And that's okay. I mean, that's, that's great. Everything is in flux. Life is meant to be in flux. Um, and as long as you accept that and know that things aren't static, then everything's beautiful. The idea is just to be constantly questioning and constantly, constantly changing. I think people try to, people try to live life as if it were chess, right? Chess is a game that is, there's, there's very little chance involved in chess, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so it's almost, this is why, um, this is why uh, AI is so successful in chess, right? Because there is a mathematical right answer or ever the positions are, whatever the pieces are, ever how they're distributed across the board, there is a mathematical right answer. Yeah. Now contrast that with poker, uh, Texas Hold'em. Now you have a huge element of chance involved, and you have the other players at the table how they are responding. Mm. So, so you could, you could win the pot, for instance, and have made a horrible decision but still win yeah and i think and then you fall into the trap of oh i'm great i won <laughs> and learn nothing from it yeah. or you could or you can make the best decision possible given the situation and still lose
right? And that that's just life. I mean, life is life, <laughs> life is lived in bets, and life is lived that way because of probability and chance, and that those are always elements. And you know, I have seen some great business ideas, just fabulous, perfect, everything fail. And I have also seen the most, the craziest ideas just take off like wildfire. And you, and you, you know, what it boils down to is right idea, wrong time, mm. or crazy idea that just happened to stick and go. And that, you know, that what? that's, yeah, and it just happened to take off and work. Now, does that mean the guy with the crazy idea that it just took, does that mean he's a good businessman or does that mean he's lucky? And on the flip side, the guy who had the great idea, the perfect business plan, everything, just wrong time. Is he a bad businessman? No. no. There's a, and, you know, we, and I think in making decisions in life and looking at the outcomes, we have to accept that yeah. too. So Michelle and I are fully aware that we came up with the idea and implemented PaleoFX at the perfect right time. The tribe was ready for it. It, it. it was just the perfect time for that event to come about. Mm -hmm. If we would have done it two years prior, I don't think it would have, I don't think it would have gone anywhere. But it's, as you say, you've got to constantly adapt and evolve with it as well, because that audience is shifting slightly. Isn't it is. it? I think it's about being really current. I mean, on those five T's, because I feel like right. we kind of touched on them and not talked about them, just so everyone knows what they are. Do you want to right. just take people through the five T's because yeah, so we, use this for training, but also in application in life. Right. Uh, so we talked about, so we talked about training mm -hmm. or we talked about temperament. Okay. And that, that's kind of, so temperament is probably one of the um, more fluid or hard to understand um, as is trademark. So, so you can think of, and I, I call it trademark because I'm just lack of a better term. So there are certain physiological, um, how can I say uh, physiological predetermined assets that a person comes to the, to the training table with. In other words, um, someone who's built like a gymnast is not necessarily going to be an NBA player, yeah. right? <laughs> That's just not going to happen as much as you want to play in the NBA. If you don't have certain, you know, uh, body stature, it's likely not going to happen. Yeah agreed that there are outliers in every sport and every activity. And again, this comes to the whole idea of life being more of a, uh, more like poker than it is chess. There are those outliers. Totally yeah. get it. But for the most part, and especially if you're training, um, if, if you are an, in, I'll just say an endurance animal, if you're wired for endurance work, it's going to do you very little good to try to be a power lifter. You're just not wired that way. Right. And so I think it's, so if we look at that on a, in a business perspective, um, you know, I am not wired to be a business person. That's not my thing. And I went through, I can tell you, I went through some, some just hellacious times. And uh, what do you call that when you're, um, oh, I can't think of the term right now. Uh, imposter syndrome. I went through oh, okay. yeah, so yeah. much imposter syndrome. Cause I, I was like, I, I know I'm not an entrepreneur and yet I'm playing this entrepreneur game. And I just like, like go through this, you know, this downward spiral. And finally I was like, okay, I'm not an entrepreneur. When I'm a, I'm a networker and a promoter own it. That's what I, that's what I am. Um, 
in fact, if you look at my, I know I'm going, so I'll get back on the five T's in a second, but if, if you look at my, my profile in a, in a design that's called Wealth Dynamics. So Wealth Dynamics is a business, uh, a business program that allows you to look at what your strengths are and also what your weaknesses are. So if you look at the combination of my strengths, the, the person that I, uh, the icon that I mostly align with is Oprah Winfrey. Is it? <laughs> so, <laughs> and I thought, I thought that's it. I mean, you know, Oprah Winfrey really didn't. Where did you do I mean, this? Wealth said, Dynamics, did you Wealth say? Wealth Dynamics, yeah. Roger Hamilton, Wealth Dynamics. Okay. Uh, it, it's super, super interesting. It's one of the most interesting business profiling methodologies that I've, oh. that I've come across. But th that's just to say that, you know, Oprah Winfrey does not have the same tools as, say, Warren Buffett. Two mm -hmm. completely different people. Two can both very, very successful, obviously, but two completely different people, and they were successful in t two totally different ways. And so you, you own that. Yeah. I, I am not an endurance athlete, right? Even at a young age, I would, I would literally, when I was younger, cry if we had to do endurance work. <laughs> I, was, I detested it. And it, it just, but I could sprint all day long, repeat sprints, you know, all day long, all day long, all day long. But if we had to do any kind of endurance work, I would just break down. Um, that, that's just the way it is. So some of the other uh, parts so of the kind of making the most of your trademark, if you like, that's your, your own kind of inherent type, uh, whether that's personality or body type is and then making the most of those assets right yep that's totally um totally true um the other part of this is time how much mm -hmm. time do you have available to to devote to whatever activity it is you want to do um so i would tell people that uh you know when i was training the general population in training studios that i can get you 80 percent of where you want to go in a very very short period of time I'm talking like an hour a week. It may be less than that. I can get you there. If, we, if, if you give me the, the time that we have together, if you're fully invested, if you listen to me, we will do the bang for the buck exercises, and that's going to get you 80% there. Conversely, if a potential college athlete were to come to me and say, hey, I've only got an hour a week. Can you, can you hone me into a, uh, to a professional or a collegiate athlete? I would laugh at them. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm sorry. There, there is a time investment that's required for that particular outcome. And, and it is, there's a diminished return on that time. So mm -hmm. to, in other words, to go from 95% to 98% improvement, is going to take you an exponential amount of time. Yeah. So we're talking hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of training for a 3% improvement. We're talking 20 minutes twice a week to get you to the 80% mark. Mm -hmm. And that's just true across the board. So what to do with that? Right. So for me now as an entrepreneur who is busier than I can ever <laughs> express to you, I have to, I have to, to weigh that. How much time do I have to invest? And given that amount of time, what is it that I'm going to do? That's the biggest bang for the buck. Now that bang for the buck on any particular day might be physically or it might be mental, emotional. Mm 
there may be some days that I'm like, you know what? I'll give up on the body side of things, the vanity, hypertrophy side of it. I need a mental break or I need an emotional break. So my training will, will reflect that. If but that's where you've really got to know yourself. Well, that's where you have that to know yourself. Time, very, very, to intuitively, right. Um, right. Now there have been periods of my life while I've been an entrepreneur that I have wanted to, um, for whatever reason, edge more towards the competitive side of things. And what did that do? It required more time. Yeah. Yeah. That's the so, thing. I, so you just have to, you have to balance that out and that's, that's quite all right. I mean, that's, that's life. Again, that's life. Exactly. Like if you want to train triathlon, an Ironman, it's obviously going to take way more time than if you want to just right. say, I want to have a really lean body composition, right. control of blood sugar balance, low inflammation, good heart rate variability. That's a different set. And that I think people maybe overestimate how much work you need to do to get there. Yes. Um, actually, that's easier, as you say. Yes. And it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. So people will, will overestimate what it takes to be healthy and they will mm -hmm. underestimate what it takes to be competitive. Yes. You see this, you see this all the time. And there's also a, a misconception among the general public that athletes, competitive athletes are inherently healthy. And I can tell you that's so yeah. far from not the case. Competitive athletes are a, just a hair away from self-destruction mm. either mentally physically emotionally so i, I mean they, because it's the nature of competitive sports it's to push the organism as far as you can to the red line yeah and it's not healthy it can't be sustained mm -hmm. ergo why you know someone in competitive athletics does not last long it's not a it's not a lifetime endeavor at all no, and the thing is, ultimately, there is a price to play, right? I mean, I'm thinking, you're saying that. I'm thinking about right. Andy Murray, tennis player. You know, he's had to work so hard to right. build that muscular strength. And he's heavier on court. And his hips, you know, he's lost right. both his hips now. Replacement. And there is a big price to pay. It is a huge price to pay. Success. Right. And I, as a competitive athlete, I, kind of, I inherently knew that. I inherently knew that it was a that it was a going to be done for a short period of time, and it was a sacrifice. It was a literal physical sacrifice. Um, I like to think that I have uh, mitigated that damage for the most part. Uh, been very smart in my training and diet since then, but uh, you know, the my sport was football, American football. Um, it, it's a brutal sport. Yes, um, and it, it takes a toll on a, it takes a toll on a body, especially a, especially a mind. Um, yeah. You know, the, the brain was just not designed to take that that kind of pummeling. Um, so I have to take all that into account now in my in my um, in my training and in my diet and in my other healthcare practices. Um, the other T involved here is technique. Yeah. So you know the most effective exercises are are very low on the technique scale and you should pick exercises that are commensurate with your, with your ability. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, things like very, very basic things. Let's just uh, look at a deadlift, for example, uh, a beautiful, beautiful exercise. Doesn't look uh, really interesting on uh, YouTube or on Instagram. 
<laughs> but it is a highly, highly effective exercise. It takes really very little in the way of technique. If you have a good coach to show you the, you know, the, a few finer points. So it's a fabulous exercise. So great exercise, a lot of benefit, low on the technique side. Yeah. Um, now, if we go, uh, let's look at Olympic lifting, right? Now we're talking very, very, very high on the techniques. Yeah, very so technical. Extremely high. Takes years and years and years to perfect those lifts, mm. right? Um, so is that a good exercise choice for most people? No. Does mm. it look good on Instagram and YouTube? It looks fabulous. I mean, it's amazing to watch. Um, so, so there's a balance there, right? Um, and so it, that's just to just to make a point that you have to take that into an account as well. And I do too. Mm. Um, there are times that I do Olympic lifts. I'm not the best in the world at it at all, right? And I would not do those if I was pressed for time. No. So no. I take that into account. Usually when I do Olympic lifts, it's on a weekend, for example, when I've just got some you know, maybe it's rainy outside and I don't necessarily want to go outside. And that's an option for that's this release right here, in my mind. And I can go through and just kind of go through technique, technique, work, technique, work, technique. That takes a while. I mean, that's a two hour workout. In the gym. Yeah, it's a long. And also, I think it's very taxing on your central nervous system. So it's not something that people should do at the end of a long work day if they don't have the technique dialed in. And they're that, all very tired because yes. my husband tried yes. to teach me Olympic lifts at one point. And I was like, this is so hard to kind of get the movements if you want to do them well and not, and you know, not risk injury. Um, as you yes. said, thank you for, thank you for bringing that up. There's a time and a place for, for all exercises. I like to say there are no bad exercises, but there's lots of bad application. Yeah. And that could go for any exercise you can, you can think of. Um, there is not a bad there's not a, there's not a bad, they can all serve their purpose if the application is correct. When I, when I was uh, running gyms, the trainers that I had working for me, my, well, my one criteria was if I ask you why you're having a client perform an exercise, I don't care what the exercise is, you should be able to tell me why. Mm -hmm. For this client, are they doing this exercise? And if you don't have an answer, that's a non-answer. Right? That, that doesn't work you have to know why this person is doing this exercise and it better make sense. Yeah, that's true. Otherwise you're wasting their time and you're, wa you're wasting your own time. Um, it, yeah. But that's true if you're training yourself too. I mean, when you, every time I, I do an exercise, I ask myself, why am I doing this? And sometimes the answer is I need a middle break and that's okay. That for me, that's okay. And for my goals, that's okay. Sometimes I, sometimes I do just need to get out and ride my bike just to churn through things in my head. Yeah. I know I'm not building muscle. I'm probably not doing much, you know, endurance wise. There's a lot of things that I'm not doing, but what I am doing is freeing my mind. Which is super important. And then Which the last is one is the tools, right? Right. And I'm going with what you have, as you say, if you're traveling, then you're going to have right. a different set of tools to when you can go right. to. The right. And, you know, you have to, and, and I do this too. So I travel a lot. I, I don't own gyms anymore, which, which <laughs> breaks my heart because I, I don't have my own gym to go to anyway. So I have to go to a, uh, what we call here in the U S a globo gym, like a big, like a goals, gym type of place. I, and I have not been in that atmosphere in, uh, um, Oh my God, 20 years at least. If I, 
And it, it's shocking <laughs> I gotta tell you, to walk into that and, and, and not be in a highly specialized training environment. It's, it's shocking, the things that I see. I have to wear blinders a lot of times. I can't look. People's technique. Yes, or yes, just exercise selection and yeah, everything. I just oh, oh my god. I went. I didn't know we have um <laughs> here in the UK, and I used to be a member there. And I remember, you know, seeing a guy who looked like an ex rugby player who always had the same routine, and there was you know lots of chatting in between that. But there's plenty of people that I think go and, as you say, it isn't productive. But then. Time right. will always expand to the task, or the task right. will always expand to the time given, right? Right. So, so yeah. tools is highly important, um, and your ability to use those tools. So, you can have the most fantastic tools in the world if you don't know how to use them. They're not, they're not doing you a whole lot of good, and you just have to take that into account. So, I don't have a lot of the specialized tools now when I train that I used to have for the past, you know, twenty years of my life and twenty mm -hmm. years plus. I don't have access to those tools now. That's okay. I will have access to them again, I'm sure. But right now, I, my training has to morph around what I have, what I have to work with. Yeah. And that's okay. And as long as, you know, I don't stress myself out about it, I don't boohoo about it, I just, I just go on. Um, to your point, if you're traveling, what do you have when, you, when you're traveling? You know, maybe TRX. Maybe you, you can probably find an open field somewhere to run. You can do – you can – figure something out um the wrong thing to do is to stress about what you don't have yeah. <laughs> that, does, that does nobody any good including yourself so in, in all of these you know I, I wrote that specifically with training in mind but that can be used for anything I use it in business too um it, it's really the basis of how I operate my my life and it's a continual flow you know, what, uh, what I am good at today or what I think I am very, very good at in the business sense may change tomorrow. And, it's, you know, it may morph. I've become much more of a uh, public speaker as of late, which I would have never foreseen before, but I am forcing myself to move in that direction um, because I think it's good for the business, mm -hmm. for PaleoFX. Um, we, Michelle and I have a book proposal out, um, that we should hear about here pretty soon. Um, and that was a direction that I really didn't see us going, but the, uh, you know, the, uh, there, there again, life is, a uh, life is poker and not chess. This was an opportunity that was dealt out to us. So, you know, we'll, we'll move on it and see where it goes. Does that, can you say anything at all about that? Is that going to be about how to be healthy or... Um, so the premise of the book is examining your place in the, what we call the human zoo. Okay. Uh, you know, getting back to this idea that we've created an artificial environment around us, uh, and, and we're largely unaware of it. Um, but just like zoo animals who are captive and, um, not put in an environment or, you know, given a diet that, is particular to them and to how they would thrive. Humans are doing the same thing. Mm. Um, and, and, it, and it's, it, it's one of all the seven pillars that we talked about before. Um, and we are not, you know, uh, preaching at any, we, we were there and we still struggle with breaking out of that. Right. We're still somewhat captive to the, to the human zoo. 
Mm. Um, it's, I have to bend over backwards here in Austin. I, I try not to drive my car as much as possible. I try to ride my bike everywhere. Well, you know, that's easy for, for me because I am self-employed. You know, I can set my meeting time. I can show up in, in biking shorts and, you know, a sweaty t-shirt and people go, Oh, well, well of course he's the paleo FX guy. Of course. He, um, so I understand it, but, but I have over the last 10 years positioned myself to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it, it wasn't one big step. It was a lot of small steps along the way to get there. Um, and we would just like everyone to wake up as much as they can to that that they are really in a, in a zoo of their own making mm. a physical, a literal physical zoo of their own making. And until they wake up to that fact and realize that, that the only one who can change that is them. Yeah. Right. And they have, no to one's coming to tell you to become a captain. Right. Right. And so, you know, um, it, and it's just a kind of a call to action for people. Number one, to wake up. And after they've, become awake and realize that they are captive. Now what to do about it? If they choose to do anything about it, there, there are many people who I think um, it's safe for the zoo. Mm. Right. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing. It is, it is safe. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's, it's always uncomfortable. That's the thing. Right. It? Right. And um, you know, to break out of that zoo uh, it's, it's unsafe because it it takes a huge amount of personal responsibility, you know, yeah. for, and so that's the trade off safety or personal responsibility. I would opt on the personal responsibility side. You know, I want to be the captain of my own ship, my own physical, mental, emotional, spiritual ship. Um, I don't want to outsource that to anybody. Yeah. Now that's, now that's puts me inherently in a less safe position. Right. But that's the trade-off and that's a trade-off that I'm going to accept. And that's the trade-off that I hope many others will accept as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I love, I love the way that um, just to close there on in terms of paleo effects and what you provide is that people can access all those seven parts at the conference. Um, right. with a Like-minded community of people. And presumably now over the years, you must have people that come back, time and time again, who just love to connect annually. At we've, that had, we've had both attendees and speakers who have been at Paleo FX every year that we've had it, yeah. which, is, uh, which is amazing. And we get told by attendees and speakers year after year after year that the, the thing that they love most about Paleo FX is that it is a gathering place of like-minded people. It's the one time a year that they can all get together and mix and mingle and rub elbows together. And it is, um, I, I really do hope that you come next year, Angela, because yeah, it, is a, it is the vibe at that show is like any other that you've been at. It's like, it, it is literally like a big homecoming for all of the, all of those people. And it's big. I mean, that's 8,000 people big and we wow. expect uh, closer to 10,000 next year. And is it suitable like for families, for people listening? Can they bring their family? Absolutely. Austin is somewhere I want to bring my family because it's just right. an amazing place. Right. Um, no, it is, it is suitable for, for families. In fact, um, <clears throat> we, have, uh, we have had families tell us that 
they love bringing their kids there because it is, it is the one event that they can go to that their kids can sample any bit of food that's being sampled there and know that they're okay. Yeah. Know that they're actually, you know, that the food is, the food is good. It's uh, healthy and it's, uh, it's good food because we very, very early on set the bar super high for vendors to come uh, be on our expo floor. There are 70 some odd banned ingredients that we will absolutely not allow on the expo floor. So any food containing those ingredients are banned. They can't bring them. Um, you know, it, it, it's stuff from uh, just the basic gluten. Obviously, you're not going to find anything with gluten at Paleo FX all the way down to, um, you know, some of the most more obscure toxins, uh, MSGs, for instance, things like that. But there's, there's a list of over 70 banned ingredients um, on the foods that are coming in. And then all of the other vendors that are there have been vetted by us to be on the up and up and something that we think the community would benefit from. Yeah, amazing. So a really nice place for families. And it is, yes. Yeah. And there's there's lots of activities for kids as well. There's lots of movement. There's there's a a huge park that surrounds the the venue where we have the venue. It's it's just a fabulous place. And and Austin in the spring is beautiful. Amazing. I'll definitely be there in April. Um, Thank you so much. Can we close with what would be your kind of guiding mantra for life? If you have one. Oh, my guiding mantra. I, I think, it, I think, I don't know if this is a mantra so much, but this is something I think of every, every day is have I done something today to push my mission forward mm-hmm. and my passion forward? Have I done something to make somebody else's life better? Mm. So every decision that I make, and I can say the same for Michelle, Every decision we make with Paleo FX or ID Life or any of the businesses that we're involved with and personally is have, has that decision been to the ultimate benefit of somebody else? Have I made somebody healthier? Have I taken one more step to educate people? Um, have I put, have I made one more step to put information in the hands of people who want to change their life for the better? I love that. That is amazing. And you've certainly done that today. I really, really appreciate your time. And for, you've given so much on this. Um, so thank many you. takeaways for people. And I, I really value that. And thank you so much for coming thank on you. and sharing that. Thank you, Angela. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.